Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, the ups and downs and how to navigate life with kids on your own while keeping sane. Covering subjects such as domestic violence through to fussy eaters and solo dating. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. My guest this week is Delia McCabe. Delia has a master's in psychology, a PhD, and for the past 20 plus years has researched how food influences brain function. What she discovered was what we eat impacts brain function directly and came to the understanding that until the brain is properly nourished, no amount of talking can support optimal cognitive functioning. In 2016, she authored two books on the subject, Feeding Your Brain, Seven Steps to a Lighter, Brighter You, and Feeding Your Brain, The Cookbook, which offers a focused, insightful, evidence-based approach into how specific foods can influence your mood, concentration, memory, and learning ability, helping us to manage stress, remain calm and happy in our busy, stressful world, regarding, regardless of our age. Hi, Delia. How are you? I'm well, Claire. Thank you for the invite to speak to your audience. No, thank you. I think this subject is going to be a very fascinating subject. We all think about feeding our bodies um, and dieting and losing weight and all of these things. But what we actually miss is the fact that we're actually feeding our brains. We need food for our brains to function. So, yeah, exactly. I think this is going to be a really insightful and interesting podcast. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. Hey, look, tell us a bit about your background. Masters in psychology, PhD, researching for the past 20 years, like 20 years research. (laughs) That's a lot. I started looking at the subject long before it was fashionable. So it started out purely by accident. I was looking at school kids and I was looking at the psychological variables that underpin their underachievement. So these are the kids that the parents and teachers get beside themselves about. You know, the kids that Mm. really do well, but are doing poorly at school. And I decided to check out what the reasons for this was. But I was looking at this purely from a psychological perspective. So I wanted to see, you know, what was the problem with their study habits? Maybe they had problems at home. Maybe they were just having peer pressure issues. Maybe there were other things related to them not doing well. Because, you know, they had the cognitive capacity to do so. So fate is a very funny thing, Claire. And I was really set on being a psychologist, but I had a little bit of extra space in one of the questionnaires that I developed for these children. And I thought, let's just throw in a weird question, like what's your favorite food? And I was blown away by the response because all of the children in my control group, that's the kids who were smart and doing well, didn't love junk food. But all the kids in my experimental group, that's the kids who were doing poorly, they all loved junk food. And I was like, what? This is very unusual in science to see a very clear distinction between two groups. And, you know, once again, fate stepped in because I was heavily pregnant with my first child. And um, I thought, I'm going to take a little bit of time off after I got my master's and I'm going to investigate this, you know, nutrition and the brain. Is it a real thing? You know, does it really matter? Isn't our brain really separate to our body and it just gets exactly what it needs from, from what we eat? And yeah. I inadvertently stumbled onto the field of nutritional neuroscience. And, you know, I fell into that rabbit hole, if I can put it that way. And I never went back to the talking cure because I figured that I wanted to ask my client, what did you have for breakfast? What's your favorite food? What's your gut health like? I wanted to ask those kind of questions. I didn't want to start with the psychology aspect of well-being and behavior change. I wanted to figure out whether their brains were well-nourished or not. And so it really shifted my entire focus. And I really walked away from my peers because my peers were still talking about psychological Mm. strategies. And I was going, no guys, we need to look deeper than that. What's happening at the neuronal level. And, you know, as I said, um, you know, when we chatted before this recording, it shifted everything for me. And 20 plus years later, here I am. So I started long before it was fashionable. Oh my gosh. No. So, so, okay. So I look, I know, and I've read 
a few books on the subject and listened to podcasts regarding, you know, people who have suffered brain injuries. And there's recent studies that have looked into processed foods and the likes of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and various different, I don't want to call it mental diseases, but brain function in elderly people, because we're now starting to realize that processed foods and things like that are actually affecting and may contribute, may contribute to these diseases like Parkinson's and things like that. But look, um, what did you discover? Why is it so important to feed our brain? What what have you discovered over this period of time that you've been researching? Well, the first thing that I think most people don't realize, Claire, is that the brain is the greediest organ we own. Mm. It's only 2% of our body weight. And it can use up to 50% of the carbohydrates we consume as fuel. The second thing that most people never think about, and it's kind of weird, you know, we're using the organ to discuss what it needs. So it's a little bit of metacognition mm. here. I know. But, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit weird. But the, the second thing that they never think about is that there's no place in the brain to store energy. You know, we store energy on our body in places that we can see very clearly. Mm. And we use you know, those storage areas are there for when we're not consuming food. And then, you know, that's how we lose weight. But in the brain, there is no place to store fuel. So it relies on a constant supply of energy to function optimally. And that's something that people don't take into account because the minute blood glucose starts fluctuating and, you know, blood glucose dips, and then we don't have that constant supply in the brain, the brain does have some fail safe mechanisms that work under some conditions. But when we're very stressed, they actually fail to work optimally. And also that dip in blood glucose causes our adrenaline to spike. It's a stress response in the body, which once again, isn't good for the brain. So there are a few factors involved in this feeding the brain and making sure that it's getting enough food. But for me, when I started, I had to kind of start at the beginning and I had to look at what the main constituent of the brain is. And when I found out that 60% of the dry weight of the brain is made up of fat, I was like, wow, that's really serious. It is. And we'd never think of our brains as being fat, would we? Um, You know, our brains are these like mishmash of oodly woodly like jelly-like substance, but we don't think that 60% of that is fat. We'd never think we've got a fat brain. No, no. We might have a fat bum or a fat belly, but we definitely don't have a fat brain. But wow, okay. So when I... When I discovered that, I thought, oh, well, it'll take me a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks to figure out the fat and oil story. And, you know, um, 20 plus years later, I'm still learning because it's the most complex discussion in nutrition, Mm. fats and oils. And that's why so many people are fooled by the discussion about fats and oils in health, but specifically related to the brain. Of that 60%, 22 to 25% needs to be made up of a specific type of fat which we call essential fatty acids. And they're called essential because we have to get them from our diet. We cannot make them. So. Wow. So that's quite a bit. That's a third. Absolutely. It's a, it's a high percentage. And so a lot of people, you know, there's a whole conversation about ketogenic diets and paleo diets and Mm. all of that. And the focus on in those diets is mainly on saturated and monounsaturated fats, which the body can Mm. make from excess carbs. That's how we get fat. When we have carbs, the body turns it into saturated or monounsaturated fat, but the body cannot do that with essential fats. We have to get the foundation for omega-3 and omega-6 from our diet, Mm. which is why the word essential is used there in in, in a very specific form. So, When you realize that, and then you come across the statistic that up to 95% of the population is deficient in these essential fats, you then realize that most people's brains are struggling to function optimally because they don't have this huge percentage of essential fats that are required for neurons to function optimally. And that is a huge problem. Oh, it's it, like that would be massive. I mean, I wow, that's ninety five percent is a huge percentage. But then I suppose if we're feeding ourselves junk food, processed foods, we're not going to get those essential essential fatty acids and stuff. 
okay. Spot on. You've hit the nail on the head there because processed foods can't contain those essential fats because they get rancid very quickly. So food manufacturers Mm. don't like using them because their products go off. So they rather use products that don't have those essential fats in them because then they, you know, will continue making money. Their products stay stable. So that's the thing. You're getting damaged fats because they don't go off on the shelf, which Mm. manufacturers use, and they're toxic to the brain. And you're also not getting a whole lot of other nutrients in your diet because you're eating processed foods. And then, of course, you're messing with your gut because the processed foods don't have any fiber. And so we go on and on. And so we don't feed the microbiomes, uh, microbiome environments that are in our body to uh, help us process foods and things. And so it just we, we just become a, a toxic sludge pile of human body. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Look, and I would imagine that these essential oils are fairly expensive. So, you know, because they're, they don't have a long shelf life. And so therefore they're not in the processed foods as well because they're expensive. Well, absolutely. And look, farmers don't like growing them because they've got a shorter growing season and they grow mostly in cold, um, cold environments, cold climates. Mm -hmm. And as you say, they're not shelf stable. So a lot of care and, and effort and expense has to go into producing these kinds of oils for human consumption. And there are very few people in the world that have done that. Um, and not many people know that 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 actually exists because what most people talk about when they talk about brain health, they talk about eating fish yeah. and, you know, cold water fish, the, the smash fish, that's the salmon, the mackerel, the anchovies and, and the herring. Yeah. So and the sardines and the herring. So they talk about that, but what most people aren't considering today is that our oceans are toxic and they contain heavy metals and polychlorinated biphenols and, you know, a whole lot of toxins. That- oh, and if, yeah. And if you see that Seaspiracy movie that's on yes. Netflix, that's, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that really opened my eyes to, um, and it's not about um, plastics and environmental sort of, it is partly, but it's more about the fishing industry and, you know, what's actually happening to the fish in our seas. So uh, it's a fascinating, yeah, exactly right. And we don't, it is, it's like a, yeah, the sea is becoming so uh, caught up in chemicals and things that are flowing from the, flowing from the land into the sea. The challenge is that so many people that speak about brain health still speak about fish as being brain food and they don't take into account mm. that, that, that it's not anymore. The other things that they don't speak about, Claire, which is of concern to me, is that, you know, those heavy metals and PCBs and polychlorinated biphenols and all these terrible things, they yeah. actually like lodging themselves in fatty tissue. And that means that our brain is extremely vulnerable to these toxins and you know, we, therefore, an alternative has to be found for these essential fats, not from mm. fish. And that's the discussion that I end up having with, with private clients because, you know, they've been brainwashed to believe that fish is brain food and that fish oil is good for us. But the challenge is that we no longer live in a clean environment, so we have to find alternatives. No. And seaspiracy really does highlight the challenge. Oh. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And I'm very, you know, it, it's good that we've got people out there who are highlighting these things. And actually, I mean, you know, it's a fact like eating fish as brain food was a fantastic 1970s like um, marketing campaign from the fisheries to get us to eat fish, basically. And I suppose there's, you know, it's it's a marketing at the end of the day. So, you know, it's the people who are selling the products to us that are telling us that they're good for us. So, you know, potentially that's an oxymoron, but you know, Hey, so, okay. So fish, we'll scrub that one off that's a, uh, uh, for fish. So where do we, where do we get these essential fatty acids for, from, for our brain? So we, uh, uh, for processed food, uh, uh, for fish. And so where do, where do we go? What do we do? Well, I suggest to people, that because I've done all the, the heavy lifting of the research, they don't have to do that. And so. Yeah, no, thank you for that. <laughs> it's, it's actually a little bit useful, isn't it? It's, it's good to have done your yeah, own no, research. Yeah, definitely. Not rely on what other people say. So for me, I went and looked at the foundation oils and the foundation oils are 
of omega-3 and omega-6 are alpha-linolenic acid and linoleic acid, to be technical. Yep. And if you give your body enough of those foundation products and you get them in, things like flax seeds, things like chia seeds, things like sunflower and sesame, and a little bit of omega-3 in walnuts, which is contrary to what most mm. people think. If you consume enough of those nuts and seeds, then you have enough of those base foundation essential fats. And then the body does a wonderful thing. It converts mm -hmm. them into what we find in fish, which is DHA and EPA. Now, you know, you speak about marketing. Um, this is what the fish oil industry did. They said that human beings cannot do the conversion from the foundation oh. to the DHA and EPA optimally. They said, oh, there's only a two and a half percent up to a five percent conversion rate, men and women respectively. And when you go and look at the research, you discover that that is actually the perfect conversion rate for men. And of course, oh. women who will carry the next generation, they need to have a higher conversion rate. So it's exactly aligned with what nature wants. Nature also doesn't want too much EPA and DHA at the same time, because guess what? DHA makes our blood very, very thin. And if our blood is too thin, it also doesn't support optimal health. So yeah. that's, these are important, important facts because if you give the foundation fats in the forms that you get from the seeds, then the body decides itself how much EPA and DHA it needs. And it's not getting the toxins that come with it. So it's in its own perfect balance. But there's always a button science. You have to have the right compounds necessary to do that conversion. Okay. From the foundation products to the EPA and the DHA. And they're not actually complicated because you need Bs, B3 and B6 specifically, magnesium, zinc, and vitamin C. And if you have enough of those nutrients, you can do that conversion with ease. And your body will then make enough EPA and DHA to keep you optimally healthy, making sure the brain functions well. And the majority of that we would get from eating fruit and vegetables and, you know, all of the stuff that's out there and available to us in our supermarkets and our, you know, um, grocers and things like that anyway. So absolutely, it's there. It's all there for us. It's not in the, pro yeah. So it's not the processed foods. It's actually out there in the fresh foods that we should be eating anyway. And when you have enough of those nutrients, fresh food tastes good because one of the reasons that people's taste buds go AWOL and, you know, good food doesn't taste good is because they zinc deficient because zinc is very ah. important to keep our taste buds in tip top shape. And that's one of the things that happens to children when they're eating a lot of processed foods. They want more and more processed foods with lots of additives in them because those are highly flavorful and titillate our taste buds, things like MSG, to make it seem as if the food is tastier. It also happens to elderly people when they're deficient in zinc because then, you know, food doesn't taste good and so they don't eat. No. So zinc yeah. is very important. And some of the preservatives actually leach zinc out of the body, one of them, namely tartrazine. So if children are eating that, you know, highly processed food with that kind of chemical in it, then their body is just getting rid of all the zinc it does have. So we have a vicious cycle that gets established, clear with processed yeah. food. Yeah, look, I and I there are there is some research regarding um lacking in zinc and magnesium for eating disorders and things like that as well in the fact that they've discovered that teenage girls and boys who um develop eating disorders basically are deficient in zinc magnesium in their adolescence which brain function wise i suppose that's sort of i mean there are a lot of other factors as well but that's one of the things they discovered was that they were deficient in those sort of um minerals which potentially is was contributing to the distorted view of their body and you know the mental depression for want of a better word that they were actually dealing with regarding the eating disorder well, I'll tell you the mechanism underlying that, which a lot of people don't know. So you spot on magnesium and zinc deficiency, deficiency mm. do contribute to eating disorders. But why it happens is because zinc is needed to synthesize serotonin. And serotonin mm. is critically important to modulate appetite. So if you don't have enough zinc, you can't create enough serotonin. And so your appetite will go wonky, for lack of a better word. Yeah. So you can't regulate either when you're full, satisfied, or when you're hungry. 
which is why binging will happen and also why not wanting to eat at all will happen. So wow. about a hundred years ago, and this is another story that a lot of people are amazed at when they hear it, um, in an insane asylum in, in the UK, one of the doctors decided to treat the woman with what they called anorexia hysteria. He decided to treat what we know now that was anorexia nervosa. Yeah. He decided. Nervosa, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they called it hysteria because these women just didn't want to eat. And so I don't know how he got them to do this, Claire. The research didn't mention this. But what he did, he got them to eat oysters. And. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. They got better. And you know why they got better? Because oysters are very, very high in zinc and also, wow. yeah, and also very high in DHA. So their poor brains got some of those essential fats that they were craving. And it also got zinc so that they could make serotonin again. So a hundred years ago, we knew this, but today we'll try and talk to anorexics to make them better. So we've come a long way understanding, but we haven't come a long way actioning what we know. Mm, yeah, no, I, yes, definitely, definitely. Wow. So, okay. So how do we, how do we get ourselves better? Like what, how do we feed our brains? What would, you know, um, we've mentioned keto, which is like uh, the new diet that's out there. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, everyone thinks it's fantastic. The paleo diet, which is like eat like a caveman and stuff like that, which look, I don't, I don't follow, but I don't disagree with because I sort of sit there and go, if eating like a caveman is eating nuts and, you know, vegetables and all of the things that were out there when we were in caves making fires and killing dinosaurs, well, dinosaurs and humans weren't around at the same time. <laughs> I was never good at history. But anyway, it's it's all the movies I've been watching. Um, but, yeah, you know, so what do you, what do you suggest? What should we be doing? Well, I think just to mention the paleo diet, the paleo diet is great because it eliminates all processed food, which is wonderful, mm. but it's very animal food centric, which is a challenge yeah. because there isn't enormous and robust evidence to show that we did live primarily on animal flesh. So, you know, we can't really rely on that. And the, the current research suggests, you know, from longitudinal studies that people that eat a lot of animal products are not necessarily healthy. Healthy, In fact, the opposite. People that have come from long-lived societies, you know, people like in the, in the blue zone, they actually eat meat as a more of a condiment and they have a lot of fresh produce. Yeah. And what, what do you mean by blue zone? Sorry. Places like Okinawa. Um, oh. When you look at these groups of people, including the Mediterranean, which is the most yeah. well research study uh, um, diet, the Mediterranean diet, when you look at those kinds of, of areas where people are long lived and very healthy cognitively as well as physically, you find that their diet is not meat centric. You find that it meat as a condiment. It's an add-on. It's not the main focus of the meal. And so a lot of research has shown the Mediterranean diet is better from a physical and a mental perspective. The challenge... And you've got to... Sorry, sorry. But you've got to also, with us going back to caveman diet, you've got to also think that we would have expended a lot of energy going and running after meat to actually kill it when we could have actually just harvest and picked, uh, you know, the other food that we needed so you can understand that theory that meat like you said was a condiment was you know maybe 25 percent of our diet and the rest of it was actually other things like fruit and vegetables and nuts and seeds spot on because you know we lived in a, in a time then where we human life was not expendable if you went out on mm. a hunt a whole group of people goes out on a hunt. Some of them would get damaged in the hunt and get hurt. And you didn't have your little old local antibiotic there to fix the gaping wound. So we were very no. respect about killing animals. And, and, you know, when you listen to the paleo people, they make as if everyone was racing around the savannah, you know, killing animals and eating them with glee. It wasn't actually the case. Um, yeah. In, in relation to keto, keto, everybody loves keto because you can eat bacon, you can eat butter, you oh. can eat cream. Everyone loves that. But then they're forgetting, you see, because they don't understand what actually underpins our health. And it's not a vast consumption of saturated fat. To get a little bit technical for a moment, you can eat more saturated fat when you eat more essential fats. And here's why. Because your cell membrane will then be made up of a mixture of 
of saturated fats and essential fats, which in combination keep that cell membrane very flexible and malleable, which is what we want, specifically in okay. the brain. If you eat only saturated fats, then what happens is that that cell membrane is less flexible because of the molecular structure of that saturated fats. So I don't want to do biochemistry 101 now, but if you can just imagine saturated fats make that cell membrane hard and inflexible, but when you bring essential fats into it, then the mix is right. So keto can be adjusted, absolutely, if your focus isn't only on lots of saturated fats. It needs yeah. to be adapted to make sure we're also eating lots of fresh produce, lots of very colorful fresh produce in season that's nutrient dense and hopefully also organic. Yeah. And look, they say, don't they, um, to actually, uh, you know, make your plate a rainbow as such with all the different colors because they actually contribute and enhance what you're actually eating and digesting. And they give all of your microbiome in, in your body uh, all of the things that they want. And I'm hoping microbiome is the right word. But um, yeah. <laughs> Well, the rainbow idea is a wonderful idea. And I think that that really ticks all the boxes because if you're eating a diet based on colorful food, colorful, natural food, you're getting a lot of antioxidants and specifically in relation to the brain, you know, we need to make sure we have a lot of antioxidants in our diet, because as I said earlier, our brain is the most energy demanding and greedy organ. And so it's generating energy all the time. And in every act of generating energy, it's creating free radicals. And those free radicals cause inflammation. There are free radicals also do some work, but I won't go into that. Yeah. But a lot yeah. of the free radical production actually causes damage in the brain. And so a, a diet deficient in antioxidants means that the brain doesn't get the compounds it needs to fight those free radicals and keep the brain healthy and robust. So antioxidants are extremely important. And Organic produce contains more antioxidants than conventionally grown produce. We've got research to, to support that. Yeah. So go to your local farmer's market, if possible, and go and get organic food and support the people who are looking after not just the planet, but our body and our brain. Yeah. And look, if local farmer's markets, especially in Australia, they seem to be cheaper um, and you get more produce for the for your money than you would do in the supermarkets and stuff like that. They're not covered in plastic, which is great. We're saving the planet. So yeah, no. Um, and most council websites have where your local farmers markets are if people need to find out where yes. they are. So yeah, no, agreed, agreed. So okay, so eating healthy, etc. So we're eating all of this uh, fresh produce, which is great for us because we're all adults. And everything's fine. How do we get our children to get off this junk food? How do we get our teenagers to eat normal, healthy food and not rubbish? <laughs> okay. First things first, children see better than they hear. Okay. Monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. Absolutely. So if we eat really well, we encourage our children to do that because then you know, they see, they're mirroring us. That's how nature meant them to mirror us because we teach them what's safe and what's healthy. That's the first point. Yeah. Second thing to keep in mind, which is really, really important to keep in mind is to make sure that you've got the kind of food available in the house that your child's going to enjoy. Yeah. Now people say children don't like carrot sticks and kale leaves. And I'm saying, I'm not suggesting carrot sticks and kale leaves because I don't like to eat carrot sticks and kale leaves by themselves either. I don't yeah. know anyone who does. I think there's some zealots out there, but this is a key point. I think that's my son. My son loves carrot sticks, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm not complaining. He won't eat them cooked, but he'll have them raw. So it's okay. I'm not complaining, but yeah. And look, my kids also did that, but there's a, a very important thing that you can do to get kids involved in eating healthy food. And the first one is always make sure you've got a dressing or a dip or a pate mm -hmm. or something available for them to dip the crunchy veggies in. No children yeah. squishy food. And interestingly, a young brain will not like squishy food because we have an inbuilt mechanism to tell us that squishy food could be off. Oh, okay. And that part of the brain, yeah, that part of the brain hasn't developed yet. Oh, so that's so that's why my older that's why my son doesn't like my sprites then. <laughs> so it's, it's a really good thing to know that, you know, parents 
Yeah. I try to give my child an asparagus and I don't know, asparagus is a different taste and a different texture and it's just not going to work, especially if it's a squishy kind. Even a tomato to a child can be squishy. Now we have evidence to show that you can take up to 12 times to show a child a food before they try it. Wow. 12 times. That's yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay, I knew I knew it was a several, but I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't know it was twelve. Wow. Okay, that's twelve sessions of sprout cooking. I'm going to need to do and make sure they're not squishy. <laughs> make sure they're not squishy. But the thing to keep in mind, which is oh, this is just another point. You know, if you have a child that, for, is, for example, sensitive to labels and sensitive mm-hmm. to the clothes that they wear, that will also be a child that's more sensitive to the texture of food. So that will alert okay. you to that. Okay. Um, I've actually got an ebook that I'm busy completing um, and just tweaking, which has got 60 plus ideas to get children to eat well. And I'll let you know. Oh my God. When I've got it ready. Fantastic. Oh yeah. No, please do. Please do. Because um, yeah, I will post that on the um, Facebook pages and things like that. And we'll, we'll, yeah. Because it's that would be a godsend. <laughs> yeah, look, it's an extremely important thing because I think children, because of peer groups and because of parents that are busy and mums that are rushing and don't have time, we we get used to relying on the kinds of food that actually don't support our children. And for me, the sobering thing is clear that if children aren't fed well when they're young, they mm. cannot reach their genetic potential intellectually. So that means that the child has the genes to be really smart and to be creative and to be, you know, strong and fit and do sports well. All of those genes are there, but they don't get switched on if the child Mm. isn't fed optimally. Now we know that from research. So if you want the best for your child, you have to really make a major effort for those genes to be switched on via the food that you feed them. So yeah, things I suggest that mums do is try and make food more fun. And I know that this sounds like it's a lot of work, but it actually isn't. If children have lots of little bowls of foods, now I'm not suggesting that mums go out and, you know, you know, break the bank and have 15 different kinds of varieties of food. I'm not suggesting that, but if you're going to make a meal, don't put it all together, have the peas separately and have the, you know, the sweet corn separately and have the slices of zucchini separately and okay. just do it separately. Don't put it all together in a dish and then let the children choose and don't get any emotion involved in the meal. Just don't get emotional. They don't want to eat, okay. the, don't have to eat the pea. So you give them a variety of things. And if they can dip it into a dip or a pate or a sauce, as I said, even better, because this is a secret that a lot of people don't know. Flavor molecules disperse optimally in fat, not in water. Okay. It's one of the reasons the low-fat diet failed because they had to find some other way to make low-fat food taste good, <laughs> and they couldn't. No, so they, everything that's low-fat has sugar in it. Precisely, and other additives, which are even worse. So, you know, a lot of them are obesogens, by the way, a lot of those additives and damaged fats, which means they actually stop your metabolism from working optimally. So you actually wow. put weight when you're eating fat with all those, but that's another conversation. So as far as kids go, make sure that whatever you're making has got good fat in it. And you know, you Mm. can put tahini in there with hummus, for example, and you can have a really nice tomato sauce that you can make yourself. And you even get great organic tomato sauces, which I often recommend to moms, get the bottle of great pasta sauce, then just stick it in your blender and make it smoother. Because if kids are used to ketchup and they're used to a, a smooth tomato sauce, they'll taste the little chunks in there and it'll be mushy to their little brains and they'll go, uh-uh. Yeah. So you can just quickly do that and there you've got a smooth tomato sauce. And Wow, okay. So there are lots of little things that you can do, but always have good fat with it because that means that the flavor is really enjoyed. And, you know, no child is ever going to say no to a little bowl of melted chocolate and a crispy pear or apple or strawberries. They're not going to say no to that. And I have to agree with you. Like my son is a chocolate addict. I don't know. He's probably got it from me, but he loves chocolate. But um, what we have, we have an agreement that if he has chocolate, which might only be like a little bar that I get from Aldi or whatever, but that he has to have something healthy with it. So he'll have an apple cut up with a little bar of chocolate or he'll have strawberries or he'll have raspberries when they're all, you know, when they're in season and they're not so blooming expensive. But he will have something 
fruit wise or healthy wise with the chocolate. So he has to eat both of them because otherwise, if he doesn't eat both of them, he doesn't get the chocolate. And that's sort of, you know. That's fantastic. I love that because that builds on the fact that you can have an agreement with your child. You know, you can say, look, and as I suppose what you could also do in a corona world, you can say, look, if you want to really stay healthy and not get sick, this is what we have to do. Yeah. And something else I suggest to, to mums is that they have this kind of like a deal like you have with your son with mm. the chocolate and the something healthy. You can have a one bite policy. You've never tasted a lightly steamed broccoli before, my angel. Let's just give it one bite. You can spit it out if you don't like it, but just give it one bite. Yeah. And the child learns. You're not going to get uptight. You're not going to, you know, take the food away and stomp off. You're just going to say, give it a bite. Spit it out if you don't want it. That's fine, but you're giving it a bite. The, ch- the child then experiences a different texture. They then say, oh, okay, it didn't hurt me. And so they learn over time. Yeah. And another cool is to make theme meals. So have like a Spanish meal or a Greek meal or an Italian meal. And then put things in little bowls. And so they've never tried, for example, let's think about it, eggplant maybe. Yeah. And you have some eggplant in addition, then they can try that. It may be a bit a bit mushy. Or maybe some, um, what I really love is capers. They've never tried a caper. You know, they can bite into a caper and see if they like it. Or maybe a, a, an artichoke. So all of these ways of getting children just to immerse themselves in different kinds of foods because the challenge is that so many children today are eating just a small variety of food and so they're really not getting the wide nutrient density and variety that we need for brain function but before that even what's happening in the gut the gut needs a wide variety of food to be able to make that great you know as you were saying the microbiome yeah make sure that that gut is working optimally with the right fiber so that we can have the right bacteria in the right ratio, breaking down that food and sending it off to do its job. Yeah. And look, I, I must agree. I, I agree with you because my son also chocolate fiend that he is likes chocolate milkshakes. Um, and so it's like um, we put a frozen banana in the chocolate milkshake, but I might also sort of hide in some uh, a handful of um, spinach because the spinach, the spinach get whizzed up. It's dark because it's chocolate coloured, um, and it has to be sweet enough. So it, it, you know, because he, he can tell sometimes if I haven't made it sweet enough. So that is the downside. But um, yeah, and you can bung in extra veggies in stuff that you know is sweet, but like you can bung in the extra veggies and go that way. No, look, I completely agree. But look, what you're advocating is just getting more fresh fruit and vegetables into children. But what you're, you know, you're not saying don't eat meat and don't do dairy, but you're just saying moderate it. Absolutely. I think the minute you take something out of somebody's diet, they feel deprived. So if you go yeah. have it in your diet, don't make, don't make it the focus of your diet, but make sure it's as clean as possible. So I say yeah. to people, make sure that your meat is organic, because if it's not organic, you're contributing, you know, to the environmental disaster that feedlots are. And in Australia, we're really lucky. We don't have that as a huge challenge. Yeah. But secondly, you're getting all those pesticides and all those antibiotics. And, you know, even when they say antibiotic free, they're now, they use hormones which act like antibiotics so you know the marketing oh, wow. once again but for me in in terms of the pesticides clear pesticides have been clearly linked to parkinson's disease because farmers that grow conventional produce have a significantly higher rate of contracting parkinson's versus farmers who grow organic produce so wow. that tells us that pesticides do something in the brain that ain't good and we need to yeah. make sure that specifically the animal products that we eat, because they are, you know, biomagnification has now occurred with them, which basically means that pesticides and toxins have been built up in them as they go up the food chain because they're not eating organic. And so they accumulate that in their cells. We mm-hmm. getting that in our fat. Yeah heavy and fat rich tissues primarily the brain you know we come back to which is the challenge yeah and i'm like, like it's interesting because i because i'm actually so i like to have and i i think we've discussed this previously so like i most of the time i try and eat like a vegan diet um and it's pretty for health reasons i happily eat fish and chicken because i've 
experience them and um, don't particularly like them as creatures. Sorry, everyone out there who does like them as creatures. I like cows, pigs and <laughs> sheep. I like all of those. I'm not sure really I should get a choice as to what I like and what I don't like. And that is OK to kill a fish and a chicken because I don't like them. But that's just how I feel about it. But um, yeah, but majority of the time I'm I'm eating vegan, but like there are times where I do like my bacon, which I mean, does mean I have to kill Percy Pig, which is um, horrendous because pigs are one of my favorite creatures. But yeah, so and I do like my chicken schnitzels, which, you know, but as long as I'm only eating it occasionally, I sort of go, you know, I feel as though it once and often like, you know, sorry, not once and often, once and occasionally is okay. And I feel so much better not actually eating. And I, I don't really miss not eating meat. Like you said, you know, we're feeding these animals things that have been covered with pesticides and all of those things. So although we may eat organic vegetables and stuff like that, if we're not eating um, healthy meat as such. But yeah, so uh, yeah. But then again, I mean, if being a single parent we're not made of money so it's just actually then looking at well what can we what can you buy that's healthy um for your children and you that's not going to break the bank etc um and sort of go from there so yeah it's a it's a difficult balance when when you've not got much money but i actually think put, giving your children i think healthy natural food like fruit vegetables and things like that actually go further than spending five bucks on a mcdonald's that feeds them once absolutely and i think part of the the challenge that we have as parents and i think something that we actually need to step up and do is is speak to our children about Mm. what the cost of our appetite is to the planet and to the creatures that we yeah that we treat so badly having that conversation you know people think that little johnny is too young to understand that chickens live in cages and have their beaks chopped off i think maybe little johnny is old enough to understand that you know treating a creature poorly so that he can have his 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 chicken nuggets isn't actually okay and i think until we get to have that conversation as parents i don't think we're teaching our children about the fact that we live on a finite planet that doesn't have unending resources and that our appetites actually cost. So what you said earlier is 100% true. I'm not advocating that people don't eat meat. However, I think we should eat meat and animal products mindfully. That is not every single day. And that that reduces the cost immediately. Then finding alternatives to meat that are healthy. And, you know, legumes – and the unrefined grains are fantastic for health. And there have been populations that have lived on this planet for a very long time, living on plant-based foods. As long as we yeah. make sure we get our B12, we get enough iron and we get enough zinc. And then, you know, there's some, maybe some other nutrients, but those are the three primary ones that animal products supply us with. We can be very, very healthy, not eating any animals. But, I, but as I said, I'm not advocating people don't because obviously we need to eat some if we look at how we evolved because some of yeah. the nutrients are only available in animal products. But we live on a very different planet to the planet we lived on even 20 years ago. And being mindful is paramount today. Well, and I, and I have to completely agree with you. We are living on a very different planet. We haven't. Um, for one of going down that avenue of the environment, et cetera. We haven't looked after our planet. There are a lot of things that we've done to it that we haven't really realized that, um, you know, as consumers, we haven't realized. We've been told a different story. I don't think even the producers who were producing the product products really knew the impact of producing their water in plastic bottles, et cetera, et cetera. And we've discovered this if we go down, go down the years. Um, but now we've got to a point where we really consciously have to understand what we're doing, how, what we're feeding ourselves, because it's having a massive effect on our health. I mean, you know, cancers are up. And I recently and I need to try and get the guy on this podcast. I've recently been reading a book called Clean, which is about the microbiomes on our skins and the thing that we're constantly washing. Yes. And he's not saying don't be clean, but he's saying don't consider what you're washing in and consider, you know, that the soap may actually be harming your skin and the things that we put on our skin may actually not be feeding our skin, may actually be harming and draining and drying our skin, which 
you know, leads to a whole myriad of different things like skin cancers and things like that, which is a whole massive another podcast. But look, but you touched on a point um, earlier regarding where we get our meat from. There's also been research regarding, and this podcast has now turned into um, an ecological podcast, but there's also been research to say that factory farmed (laughs) animals are so stressed within that environment that the stress, the hormones that are produced, the stress hormones that are produced are actually affecting the quality of the meat. Um, They're actually going into the meat and therefore we're eating it and the hormones and the, the, all of the enzymes, not enzymes, but all of the hormones and things for want of a better word. And I can't think because it's, we're doing this in the morning and my brain's not working, but like, you know, all of those are actually affecting our bodies Well, because we're eating stress products. Well, the problem is that everything that we eat will impact us and it's either positive or negative. And so if those animals are stressed, they've got hormones, they've got antibiotics because they need antibiotics because they didn't, weren't meant to live in such close proximity. So they, and then they're stressed because they're not supposed to be living like it. We will definitely get that into our bodies. And we don't know the effects of that because I've not read any research on that. Who's going to fund that research, Claire? Who's going to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to show you that animals are really bad for your health. I don't know anyone who's going to stand up and fund that. It'd be a very expensive research project. So we have to use our common sense and be mindful that we're living in a difficult, you know, world where we need all of our senses. We need our brains to be really working well. We've got difficult decisions. We need to consider our environment, if not for ourselves, for our children. They're going to live here when we're gone. What kind of place is it going to be? So there are a lot of things that we're bringing up in this podcast, but I think it's important for us to think about that, you know? think about thinking. We need to really be very serious about feeding our brains optimally for all the reasons mentioned. Yeah. And look, at and within ourselves and within the children, if we're not eating optimally and we're not eating healthy food, is that then affecting our, like, does that contribute to our stress levels, our anxieties and all of those things, which being a single parent tend to be a little bit maybe higher regarding, regarding, you know, the stress that, you know, the buttons that the children press, the fact that, you know, we've getting the children to school, going to work, dealing with, you know, our day-to-day life and all of those things, you know, obviously eating healthier means that our brain can handle all of that a little bit better. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And we're going to discuss that in the next podcast because stress definitely impacts um, what we choose to eat and what we choose to eat impacts our stress. So we need to look at this from both angles, Claire. And we definitely have a lot more power than, than we've been led to believe. And yes, we can be calm and cool and serene and full of energy and think clearly as mums, if we just do a few things right. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I agree. I look, thank you. Thank you so much um, for t- coming and talking to us today. Look, um, I'm sure we could talk about this subject for hours and I would love to pick your brain on so many different areas, but look, where can our listeners, if they have questions or they want to get your books um, and I have the feed your brain, the cookbook, um, which is great and fabulous. We've been trying, we've been trying um, recipes out within that book. So it's, it's been great. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for writing it. I can't wait for the children one to come out. That would be brilliant. Where, where do our listeners, where can our listeners get in contact with you? Um, your listeners can find me at my blog, which is www.lby.life, which stands for lighter, brighter you. They can find me at Instagram, same address, Lighter Brighter You. And I'm also on Facebook, same name. And um, I'll give you a special code, Claire, where your listeners can get a two for the price of one. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. If they buy the science book, then they can get the recipe book for free, which takes the science into the kitchen. So I'll give you that code. Brilliant. Awesome. Look, thank you. And I'll post all of that in the podcast blurb and uh, everyone can um, have a look on there. That's great. Brilliant. Look, thank you. Um, So I have one last question. One last question. I ask this to everyone. Uh, If you had a superpower, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. I think this is a hard one because I'd like to time travel. 
that would be cool because I could go and not do the things that I regret doing. Um, but I think I actually would like to be able to read people's minds because. Oh my gosh, would you? I would because then I would know what was driving them and I could know what they're confused about, especially in relation to what I teach people. Mm. And maybe I feel that way now because when I used to do in-person um, presentations, I could see on people's faces if they were a little confused or if they needed some clarification. Uh, but you, on, on Zoom calls, you can't really see that. It's not the same. So I think no. maybe that's why that desire. I, I think I'd like to read people's minds just so that I can say, no, 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 this is actually what I meant. <laughs> oh, but yeah. maybe you, you might be getting information that you don't want to know though. Yeah, I think I did have to be selective. I think maybe I'd have to switch it on and off. If that was possible with the superpower, then I think I'd like that one. So superpower, but with filters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like in the modern internet world, we can filter stuff. Anything that we're searching for, we can filter on it, really. Absolutely. So, hey, so superpower with filters. That's fair enough. I'm sure we can do that. It will be okay. <laughs> no, brilliant. Look, thank you again for coming on board. It's been great speaking to you. Um, thank you so much. I hope everyone has learned loads. I have. And um, yeah, look, have a great day. Thank you, Claire. You too. And yeah, I can see you all rugged up in Melbourne. It's getting hotter and hotter here on the oh Gold God, Coast. It's so annoying. I'm going to enjoy <laughs> some of the sun outside. It was a delight. Thank you. No, that's okay. Thank you. Thank you, Delia. It's brilliant. Speak to you later. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you'd like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family on all the usual social media platforms that you're normally on. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content that I know you're going to want to hear like this. If you want to check out past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast or for links, resources and show notes, go to our website www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey and Twitter. Have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one's perfect and we're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast. <laughs>